Magic? Murder? Problematic, misogynistic undertones? Join us as we delve into one of Britain's best-loved TV shows. So grab your duffel coat, don your curly wig, and dig up that 90s character actor as we welcome you to Podcast Macabre, the Jonathan Creek Podcast. Welcome back to Podcast Macabre, the Jonathan Creek Podcast, where we talk all things Creek-related. Um, yeah, whilst trying to meander our way around different distractions and side notes. Absolutely. So, uh, just to remind you all, I'm David. I'm Callum. And uh, how are you feeling today, Callum? I'm feeling good. Um, yeah. It was really nice to get some reactions to the first uh, episode, to be honest. Yeah, it's been really great uh, this past week to have a uh, little look and see where our uh, podcast is doing well. Uh, we have uh, two downloads from Ontario, Canada. So, Jonathan uh, Creek, big in Canada, who knew? There you go, hello to you folks there. Um, and there's just a couple of things I want to touch on before we delve into part two of The Wrestler's Tomb. Uh, at the end of last episode, we did ask uh, any of you guys if you wanted to get in touch, if you had any comments or queries. Yeah. Uh, and we've heard from Josh, who got in touch with us uh, this past week, uh, and he pointed out... He's a bit of a stickler, Josh, isn't he? He is. He pointed out that uh, obviously one of the most important things about this podcast is the hand down the blouse (laughs) counter. (laughs) And he pointed out to us, we missed one. I mean, on behalf of myself and David, I would like to apologise. We're not in the habit of missing hand down the blouse moments. And we did it on the first episode. No. So, the first episode actually contains two Two. Hand down the blouse moments. The previously mentioned Alistair McGowan and Caroline Quentin, but Anthony Hedders, Adam Klaus, and his assistant have a moment in the dressing room uh, in the infamous doing it scene. In the in the doing it scene, you might remember from last where episode. Adam Klaus's hand has a little journey down the blouse, which of course makes sense, of course, because they they are a man and a woman and interacting. Um, <laughs> And so therefore that together, so so that warrants. In the world of David Rennick, that is how men and women interact. They're probably solely doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, just do get in touch, guys. Let us know if ever we miss anything out. If ever you want to add something, and we will always uh, rectify those omissions or mistakes. Absolutely, endeavour to be as accurate as possible because it is very important. This stuff. Absolutely. So. Let's... Oh my goodness. So we've just watched part two of The Wrestler's Tomb. We have done there, and there is, now we've seen the whole thing, no wrestler, nor is there a tomb. There is, however, <laughs> a recap. <laughs> now, it would be perhaps a little bit silly of us to kind of talk you through the whole recap of the episode. Mm. I'd um, quite like to. I'd, I, 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 there's, a lot of, there's a lot of material in there. Um, but I... Feel, I feel it. It would be as useless as the recap was <laughs> for episode two, Wrestlers Team Part Two. It it went on forever. It did. It did. In fact, you counted, didn't you? Yeah. How long did it go on for? It was five minutes. Five. It was exactly five minutes of a recap of a first half of an episode of which this is the second half of that episode yeah. two. 
Um, but they, the things they chose to include in the recap yeah, were utterly bizarre choices. That's where I have a bit of a, a sticking point. Um, so it opened with uh, a, a montage of two moments from the same scene. Yeah. Which I feel like they probably could have just run on because they actually happened in the episode right next to each other. But they cut about 15 seconds out and made those as if they were two separate moments. Because those 15 seconds weren't important. But the rest of the whole scene was important. Otherwise, you wouldn't have understood part two of the rest of tomb. Yeah. You, so you wouldn't have known where you were, would you? So then it goes on to uh, the scene in the uh, office with Serena Shale, the wife of... Uh, Headley Shell, the painter, uh, arriving at the office and the whole interaction with the woman getting the call from Davina Yates. But I mean, it's the entire scene. It's the uncut entire scene. We get also, we get the line bark like a sea lion again. As if that was in, that on its own, our introduction of Baker, Colin Baker's character, Headley. Oh, uh, bark, I want you to come over and make me bark like a sea. Why did he repeat that? As if it wasn't weird enough in the first instance. But I think my favourite part of the recap was uh, when it showed uh, the murderer from the point of view of the murderer. Yeah. That was actually a longer scene than was in the episode. There was an extra bit that was never actually in the first episode. So in the recap of episode one, there is actually a part of that recap that didn't happen in the episode. So we're getting more in the recap. Mm -hmm. Of the, of the episode yep. than we were in the original episode that they are recapping. While still simultaneously managing to not really tell us anything important <laughs> about that episode. I, I mean, the one thing I did like about the recap is that we were able to put the rest, put to rest uh, David and I's dispute over where the sound affected the swanny whistle. Yes. In the recap of these scenes, yeah. for some bizarre reason, the entirety of the recap was underscored by a, a new fresh score. It wasn't the same <laughs> score as we'd had for any of those same scenes. This is true. Um, and it didn't have the Swanee whistle in that recap. No. That was not included, which means it was part of the underscore, not part of what the character heard in the room. Well, you say that, but then, and I'm sure we'll come to it towards the end, when they <laughs> yet again... appearance again! They yet again show that part of the story with the gunshot, the slide whistle's back. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that one, you know... Is in the lap of the gods, as they say. I don't think either <laughs> is of it? us. Yeah, yeah. Great. The episode then eventually decides to start, and we open on uh, Maddie McGellan arriving at Jonathan Creek's uh, iconic windmill. Yeah, Jenny Lockyer, one of our listeners, uh, commented, "Why did he sell that windmill?" Well, exactly. We'll never know. Who knows? But what we do find out is that his parents uh, have moved to Philadelphia. He lives there alone, um, and uh, Maddie McGowan asks him what constitutes living alone, and he says, when you're not sleeping with someone regularly, which which right. I'm not sure if that is the definition of of living alone, is it? No, no I, don't, I don't think um, living with or, or without somebody is solely determined on whether you're having a sexual relationship with them. But then also, if you're having a relationship with anyone who's the opposite sex... It has to be sexual, mm. be because David Rennick set that up, obviously. Well, we do have to remember, when we're talking about three 11-year-old boys, <laughs> as David Rennick is, his idea at that age of mm. what a relationship is, is probably 
people sleeping together regularly. I don't think he's yeah, very true. Emotionally mature enough to to understand um, the ins and outs of an adult relationship, is he? Um, yeah. The only ins and outs he understands is the hand going in and out of the blouse. Yeah. So he said it's been in his family five generations. Yeah, it's a long time. How well? How long is it? How long I, is a generation? I mean, I, I would say it. Looking at the windmill, it's it's older than the windmill. It predates I, the actual building of I the think, windmill. I think yeah. the windmill looks like it's it looks old, but not like it doesn't look hundreds of years old. And we then see. Uh, oh, Mad- sorry. Yes. He says, she, he says you're living alone, to Maddie as well. Yes. Um, and she says, How, why do you think I'm living alone? And he says, because those onion rings hang around for days. Now, it's a callback. It's a callback to to me in our last episode, finding those <laughs> onion rings ridiculous. It was just someone eating some ridiculous pop food. Yeah. But now they've mentioned it, I feel it's because they've listened to the podcast and then gone back in time and then written that line in just to make me laugh. It's it's weird. It's It's, it's a weird callback to do. Because why would anyone else, unless you were overanalyzing a show for the purposes of a podcast, remember the onion rings thing? Exactly. So innocuous. I don't know why you would. Um, so they are getting to know each other a little bit more. You're getting, as uh, an audience, to know a little bit more about Jonathan. Uh, which actually, I think, to be honest, was quite well done. It wasn't too heavy on the exposition. Uh, I thought they kind of dropped it in quite nicely. Um, what was heavy was the heavy strings that came in as he showed Maddie around the house and explained that he was a fan of magic. Now, it was it's actually just quite a cool house as mm. someone who's got some posters of Houdini on the wall. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, I was born 100 years too late. You know, I was really into magic. Quite nice. The underscore tells us that this is the house of a madman who might <laughs> kill you, Maddie. Run! Run, Maddie! Get out of there! That's what yeah. the strings are doing. Yeah. Um, but yet she stays and learns about why... Uh, and, and learns that Jonathan is a fan of magic, which is it's handy, isn't it? That's not really, job. not really a surprise. He's got all these posters up of classic magicians on the wall. Talks about how much he loves magic, which then leads him on to say, oh, it's like I was born a hundred years too late." Yeah. Now I didn't realise that liking magic meant that you were born a hundred years too late. I didn't realise it was exclusively for Victorian people. No, but it plays into the fact that the show he's doing isn't going well. As we established, no one's doing well. Mm. Um, And Adam Klaus is a bit outdated. So it supported that theory. But it doesn't support why that show that's not doing well is in the Prince of Wales Theatre in the West End. Do you know what is impressive, though? What? Being born 100 years too late, but also at the same time being better than a computer. Uh, very true. That's very good. It's very because good. computers are a fad that will never catch on. <laughs> they won't. He he then introduces Maddie to to what he's been doing. Yeah. Which is yeah. the 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 model box of the office. Yeah. So he has made he being Jonathan has made a model sort of shoebox model of Serena Shale's office and the reception area outside to try and deduce how. Serena could have perhaps escaped her office. Yeah. Because why just explain something with words when you can use puppets? Well, I think it's because um, they had the model box left over when they were pitching the pilot 
and explaining to the carpenters of the, the BBC of Jonathan Creek. Mm-hmm. And they went, oh, let's use that. That'll be better than listening to people talk. And I think David Renick went, went, yeah, it means I don't have to put as much effort into the dialogue. Which would be fine if they didn't, most of the time he explained it, show us a live action reenactment of that happening so I'm like, at well, the same time it you've was made spliced wasn't it yeah you've you've made a point of going showing us how much work jonathan's gone into to make this box which i feel like is for the purposes of the audience to yeah. go oh that's a kooky interesting way of trying to solve a crime and they're not really showing us that much of the box because no. you've decided to do it in a live action way but then you say he put lots of effort into it and it's to show us that he's been working away on it squirreling mm. you know with his wonderful maths brain and then he says here's the office more or less to scale <laughs> like well why did you need to know the exact dimensions of the room which is why you yeah. smuggled your way into the eve magazine with a steady cam if you then were going to go away and work re- really hard on mm. a really detailed uh what's the word model box um and then and then not make it to scale i mean what's the benefit of, of doing it if it's not exactly to scale you say it's very detailed, and not only is it not exactly to scale, it doesn't actually bear that much relation to the offices. There are no. chairs in the reception that don't exist. No, th- no, more um, chairs. Yeah, yeah, quite a lot of chairs. But anyway, that's that's by the by. Uh, he's also made puppets of the receptionist and of Serena. Yeah. Which, again, I just felt, as he was explaining it, if I put myself in Maddie's shoes, I would have understood what he was saying. Without the need of Without puppets. the visual aids. But he made the puppets animate as well, which I think is really out of character for Jonathan Creek at this point. He's kind of going, and they come out here and he says, and they have a little chat, and he kind of bounces the puppets up and down. Going, I don't... Are you enjoying this? Are you just playing with puppets? I was just constantly thinking about the fact that in the imagined world... Of, of this fictional series. He spent hours and hours and hours making this for something that he's still playing a reluctance to get on board with. Absolutely, yes, completely. Like, he's now spent more time on this than Maddie has, and she's the one driving this yeah. investigation. Like, the jig is up, Jonathan. We yeah. know that you want to solve this crime. Yeah. Stop pretending you don't have to. There's something also weird as as he's explaining this, mm-hmm. um, how it, how all the ways in which it could possibly happen, and he yeah. settles on this one idea that uh, the way in, in in which our editor of Eve magazine could could have done it, yeah, that it's utterly ridiculous, but it's meant to convince us and Caroline Quentin that that's how it happened, yeah, so that then he can turn around and say, oh, don't be ridiculous, but it is ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, it, it, one of the most ridiculous parts is when Maddie actually calls him out on it and says, oh, this is all very convenient. Why would the phone ring at the exact time that she was hiding behind the sofa? And then, again, this is a classic example, and, and Cam, I want you to talk about this a little bit because you actually brought this up in a off-podcast conversation the other day <laughs> Yeah, when um, you were talking about the fact that you've noticed uh, throughout many uh, times of watching Jonathan Creek that... David Rennick doesn't really understand mobile phones. He doesn't understand mobile phones. You're absolutely right. He he has it set up so that our suspect comes out and and has timed the timed a rig to, to call an electronic rig to call the mobile phone. To, sorry, to call the desk phone, uh, and then she speaks into a microphone 
that is, and also that's just not on a, just on a model box, as David says. That's interspliced with a, a you know, actual footage of what. So we think it actually might have happened at this point. Yep. If it wasn't so mad, speaking into a microphone that's strapped to the back of the. Why wouldn't you just use a mobile phone? He doesn't understand how they work. And also, Maddie says, "Oh, how could she have got it to ring that that phone at that precise time at that end of the desk?" <laughs> What do you mean, what end of the desk? What's she on about at that end of the desk? Yeah, I don't understand why that was relevant to say. If there were two phones at the other end of the desk, yeah. so that there could be two phones at the same time, they wouldn't have a separate number. They'd have no. separate extensions, perhaps, but going incoming calls would yeah. only go into that one number. Yeah, and there's also... As they've shown us that desk multiple times, there's not two phones that, on either end of the desk. I don't know why in I'm fact, trying to work that hard. We know that it wasn't. It's not true. In fact, there's one phone and it's in the middle of the desk. So I'm yeah. not quite sure why any of that needed to happen. Um, How now, does she get back in? This is the question I have written down in front of me. Yeah. He explains it all. Yeah. About how she gets out yes. to commit the murder. Yeah. And then says, and then at some point she sits back into the office and pretends she's been there all morning. Right, well, how is she going to sit back into the office that she's been in? The whole point is that is well, that she's in the office at 11 o'clock when the police come and tell her that her husband's dead. And this is what makes the reveal of all of this being not true. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of, it makes, well, yeah, it, it's meant to be like a surprise, but we're all going... Well, yes, obviously, because you've not explained it very well. It's not no. a good explanation, and it's not a good way for it. So, going well, no, of course, of course, that can't be the way. But, 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 what he says about it, I've written down because um, I particularly liked the way that he described all of that scenario that he created as a textbook explanation. Yeah, is it? Is, is that a textbook explanation or is that the ramblings of a madman? So then we cut to uh, Caroline Quentin, Maddie McGellan, sat in a trick chair that makes it look like you're levitating because it's uh, counterweighted. Yeah. Um, guys, you know, whenever you see uh, on the South Bank or outside Trafalgar Square, uh, two people and one of them looks like they're hovering above the other one and they're both sat cross-legged. It's the same kind of principle there. You're counterweighted. Yeah. So... The chair is counterweight to be able to take a horizontal balance of, of someone. Um, and uh, there's, a for some reason, a weight joke here. Um, uh, it's the first of a couple. I mean, I know that they're peppered through the series. Yeah. I can't remember. Um, we'll discover. But it's the first uh, fat joke, isn't it? It is. Now, he says there's a limit to how much weight these can take. Mm -hmm. Now, Caroline Quentin is not particularly tall no and actually not particularly fat she's curvy and i'm wondering why this <laughs> trick chair for a magic show it can take so little weight it's a bit worrying isn't it, it? Is, i don't think it's been properly made no either way um they have a a moment where she calls him out on it and he kind of admits to it yeah. and feels a bit embarrassed. So what does he do to get rid of the embarrassment? Drops her Dro violently drops, on the floor. Yeah, drops, yeah. Dro to get yeah. over his embarrassment of, of accusing her of being overweight, he drops her to the floor yeah. with a clunk. Yeah, I mean, it's not funny, is it? It's, a, it's, it's bullying. Abuse. It's abuse. It's really, but it's really mean. Yeah, again, another example of why Jonathan Creek isn't a particularly 
nice person. Nice guy. Nice guy. <laughs> um, so then we cut to somehow they've gotten to outside the the next door garden to the house where Henry yeah. Shell they're onto the the back was killed the back of the house um, now I didn't listen to most of this scene because I was really taken aback by how poor the quality of the film was it looks Be- like it's like driving rain and it's not at all it's just really bad grading it, it was filmed on like my dad's first camcorder to film holiday videos I was yeah. like, why it's the BBC and, and why is it a, clearly a camera that's not been used before or since in an, any Jonathan Creek episode it's really really odd um, but I, I mean I also was slightly confused because whilst that was happening we were having a slow pan in on this camera that was made out of a box of tissues and a pinhole uh, and then Jonathan Creek isn't happy about being there yeah. Well, you've just made a model box. You've invited Maddie over to the house. You've come up with an elaborate theory in order to eliminate that theory and explain how, you know, a genius you are. And then you're complaining about it. How does he complain? I'm standing here with a shoe full of stoat vomit. Because that's that's what happens in the countryside, isn't it? it you go for a country walk and you go, oh, sh- shoes are all filled with stoat vomit. Yeah, it's weird that he is being portrayed to be very disparaging of the countryside when he lives in a windmill in the middle of rural, like, Sussex. Also, what's he complaining about going somewhere? Because if he lives in rural Sussex, presumably this the house that they're in is also somewhere in rural Sussex because it's also in the countryside, but within commutable distance to London. There's a yeah. point... Let me bring up the commute later because okay. that's the most magic thing about this whole episode. Okay. I'm, and I found I found some detail. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. So then they go and meet uh, the cleaning woman for Headley Shale. And I'd just like to point out, we do learn in this part of the episode, that she is indeed a cleaning woman. Now, a couple of people uh, said it was a, a ridiculous observation that I spotted cleaning materials in her bag. But look, I was right, wasn't you I? You were right all along. Nailed it. And, Nailed you know, it. that's why you're doing this podcast. Right. So they go inside and meet the cleaning lady, pretending to be from Channel 4, uh, of course. Um, and Maddie goes and sleeps upstairs and Jonathan uh, is there to kind of keep... Keep, keep our uh, cleaner occupied. Keep the cleaner occupied so she doesn't find Maddie snooping around. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a man that in the first half of this episode, in, in last week's podcast, we talked about being uh, saying things to Maddie like, uh, I don't understand subtext in people. Exactly. I have to know exactly. And then he seems pretty natural at absolutely relentlessly hitting on the cleaning he lady. He's flirting his bum off Isn't with he? the cleaning lady in order to keep her occupied and also there's you know a little bit of tension here with with maddie i think his whole oh i don't get subtext and women is a bit of a ruse um it's clearly not true no again it's written by someone that's just in the early stages of puberty and i think that is why <laughs> sorry it's written several people that are in the early yeah. stages of puberty. It's a lot of hormones. There's a lot of hormones, and I think that is why, throughout all of Jonathan Creek, everyone kind of fancies everyone all the time. Yeah, there's this, everyone's on the lookout. Everyone's a bit randy. Yeah. So he hits on her, her husband turns up. Yeah. And she says, oh no, my husband's here. Better be careful, because he gets really jealous. 
and he does indeed get jealous. He gets very angry, doesn't he, Callum? And he enters into the house and uh, proceeds to intimidate Jonathan. And I just, uh, how did he intimidate him? <laughs> Assault by Hoover. Yep, yep. He got a vacuum cleaner and tried to suck his face into the vacuum oh, cleaner. Oh, what's that? A bit of dust on your face? Oh, let me get that for you. And then without moving an inch, he materialises a Hoover out of his right hand. Like yep. a like a Jedi Knight uh, of the Henry Hoover. And then sucks it all over his face. And it, it is, I find it really, it's one of those jokes that go on for too long and yep. they get funny again. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. It's the um, uh, Aphex Twin video with the limo that keeps that going keeps past going, the screen. Yeah. yeah. Can I also say the reason why he was annoyed at her uh, is because he threw uh, at him, at Alan, was because he, um, Alan Davis, is because he saw him through the window comforting her as she was crying. Yeah. Now, the reason she's crying is because she got up to check on Maddie and he knows that he's got to keep her in the room, right? So he gets up and acts genuinely accidentally, mm-hmm. knocks over the table and then pretends that it was an accident. Which is weird because he kind of he genuinely knocks the table over, yeah. and then badly pretends that it was an accident. Goes, oh no, I knocked the table over. Yeah, so, I know, I know you did because you because yeah, you knocked over knocked over by accident, and then comforts her, and he and 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 he says, go on, have a good squirt. Yeah, it's the squirt first time to blow I've her nose. It's the first time I've ever heard. Blowing a nose being referred to as squirting. Never never heard it before. Um, I think what he's doing there is actually just badly acting, deliberately knocking over a table. Yeah, I think you're right. And then trying to compensate by, by deliberately badly acting it being accidental. Yeah. It's got, it's, or they may, or they, they change the intention in between takes and the cuts don't match up. Something like that. I love that you're assuming that there's ever more than one take in Jonathan Greek. <laughs> you're right. It's... I think it's patently obvious that it's one and done every time. Should we go for another one? Nah. nah. That'll do. That'll do. Um, right, so then Maddie comes down the stairs uh, pretending to be on a phone call from Channel 4 using uh, the fact that there's been a cock up and they've uh, sent her the wrong details. Got them to the... On the wrong day. At the wrong day. That's it. Now, uh, to any regular viewer, they might just think, oh, yeah, you know, that's a fairly plausible way to get yourselves out of the house. But Callum, I'm just wondering, do you think this is another subtle dig at Channel 4's lack of competency? I think it absolutely is. Because she could have said anything, couldn't she? But it, 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 it's weighted on Channel 4 being the ones that have, quote unquote, cocked this up. Oh, because Channel 4 in the 90s is all run by coked up monkeys <laughs> who are just like, just dropping speedballs and don't know what file faxes are. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought you might have that take. Uh, then we, of course, cut to Adam Klaus being served dinner by his new girlfriend. Uh, well, Francesca. First, first of all, they're he, in the car on the way back. Yes. And he says, and Alan Davis realises that he's got to be somewhere. They're talking about what they found out. And he looks at the clock and he says, oh, God, that's never the time. Yeah. I'm meant to be somewhere. And then really angrily rolls his eyes at Caroline Quentin. 
As if it's her fault <laughs> yeah, that he yeah. forgot that he had a dinner booked. Yeah. And instead went on a on a sleuthing expedition somewhere in the Sussex countryside, presumably. But it's the thing about Jonathan Reed, he he never at all accepts responsibility for his own actions in, in any episode, ever. Just making sure that he's definitely, definitely unlikable. <laughs> so they get from uh, that scene to uh, the next one, which is Adam Klaus being cooked dinner by his now girlfriend, Francesca the Scandinavian model. Poussin. Right. Who told you I adored Poussin? <laughs> now, what 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 is Poussin? It's a French Baby word. chicken. Yeah, but it's not small chicken. I've only ever heard that like as a French word, like it would people talking in French. I've never heard the food being referred to as that. You can buy a Poussin Sainsbury's. Oh, okay. You can, but it's um. It's an odd thing to like. That's the point. <laughs> Just for clarification, uh, David's a lifelong vegetarian. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, but at a loss with these kind of things. So it's really weird to go, oh, who told you I love Poussin? It's a bit like going, oh, who told you I love uh, bread? It's like... <laughs> it's not a specifically exotic type of food. It's right, just yeah. the size of a chicken. Yeah. Um, yeah, very odd. And again, the American accent is all over the place. Anthony Head. It's not. It's not all over the place. It's in one particular place, and that is nowhere near the United <laughs> States of America. <laughs> it is just stop. He stopped trying. He's absolutely stopped trying. And, but it's weird because surely this would have been shot, not necessarily in sequence, but certainly as a, as a whole thing. So it's not like there's been a lag, and now he's filming this. Like I don't know why this scene in particular. He just really, really couldn't give a monkeys at all. No. Um, but fine, you know, he's Anthony Head. He's a great actor. He can do what he wants. He, he can, yeah, I don't know if he was that big then. He hadn't done Buffy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So he's not Anthony Head who can do <laughs> what he wants. He's, he's oh, it's okay, guys. I might get this Jonathan Creek pilot. That's what he's telling his family. That's a really good Little point. Little baby Emily at home, nine-year-old Emily at home. He's going, oh, <laughs> go on, Dad. I hope you get this one. Oh, don't cock it up. That's what it, you know. But. He does play the character as if Anthony Head, the actor, is a really big actor that's, like, doing a favour cameo. Yeah. And it says starring Anthony Head mm-hmm. in such big letters. Yeah. And I don't... And I'm, I just... They've got no idea, have they? That he's, he's, he's off. He's gone. Unless they did by the time they made the credits and knew he'd been signed to some big American show and thought we better capitalise on this for this pilot. I mean, that's a level of thinking that hasn't been expressed in any other level of production <laughs> in this programme so far. But, you know, that's a benefit of the doubt. So anyway, they're having dinner and then uh, he's pestering uh, Francesca, the Scandinavian model, Adam Klaus's to see the painting that Headley Shale painted of her, which is downstairs in the basement. Yes. Uh, she is very reluctant for him to see it, but he persists and ends up running down there anyway, followed by her, to which they are greeted by the painting in the basement, riddled with bullet holes. Riddled. Riddled with bullet holes, uh, which is very clear that they're bullet holes, but apparently not to them until Jonathan has to go within about a millimetre of it, to then just go, oh, they're bullet holes. Bullet holes. And then they act shocked. Not only do they act shocked, they run away from the bullet holes. Just, come on, let's get out of here. And they scurry back up the stairs. What What are they afraid the bullet holes are going to do? I, 
there's a kind of loose suggestion that the killer's still in the room. But the point is, in any of the kind of slightly dangerous scenarios, we've suggested be dangerous scenarios in the past hour and a half that we've been watching these these just two parter, the most afraid of any of these situations is Adam Klaus. Yeah. He, yeah. He's absolutely terrified. We then cut to Maddie and uh the cleaning lady, who by the way is called Katrina Topless. Katrina Topless. Um and uh, they have a conversation in Headley Shale's uh, art gallery yep. showing um, where we learn that Katrina Topless has been having an affair as well with with Headley Shale. And we learn this because the camera goes to one of Headley Shale's paintings and it is it is very clearly of her with no clown face. Which is bizarre, isn't it? Why is that the... Well, I know why it's the... It's, it's so we can tell that it's her, so That's, we get that message. Yeah. But in the world of the fictional world of the show, why is that the only painting he's done where the where it's not a clown face on the woman? And surely then, everyone's going to be aware that he's having an affair with her if she's got this special painting that no one else got. Yeah, absolutely. If they've already got a, a very suspicious, bitter and twisted wife... Yeah. Who's, Who's so convinced that this other person's had an affair with her? Yeah. Then why wouldn't why is she ignored the fact that he's clearly knocking off the cleaning lady, as Carmen Quentin says? Well, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you question the fact that clearly the only person you're painting to look beautiful is is the cleaning lady? You'd be like, well, do we want to talk about that some more? Nah. I also don't quite understand why Katrina Topless tells. <laughs> Topless. <laughs> you heard it again, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I heard it again. Yeah. Yeah. Katrina tells uh, Maddie this because they haven't arranged to be in the gallery. No. She's in the gallery and I think Maddie's followed her there. Um, and she says, who are you? And Maddie is about to lie about being probably from Channel 4. And instead she says, I'm one of those nasty meddling writers that perverts the course of justice in this country. <laughs> now, what, what is Maddie's view of what she does for a living? Because before she says I'm a writer with a con- with a social conscience, yeah, and now she's assuming that Katrina, the cleaning lady, has particular I- ideas about what writers are and how they're perverting the course of justice is one option, or she just thinks that about herself and is slightly ashamed. Yeah, it's a really unnecessary line, apart from the fact that it suggests that that David Rennick really, really hates investigative journalists yeah has decided to write a series about one and it's odd because we'll learn in the in in the next episode uh next week when we watch jack in the box which is episode (laughs) two a large part of the plot of that is related to this person that maddie mcgellan through her journalistic you know integrity and 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 research and amazing powers has managed to get him acquitted after years and years freed this so this, why has she said that? And it's all played very seriously and played with a lot of pathos about how amazing she is as a journalist. So I don't know why. Mm. Oh, well, no, I do, because nothing means anything beyond the scene that's happening. There is, there's, no, <laughs> there's no kind of continuity of character. It's yeah. just lines to move the thing on to the next bit. And anyone can say them. 
You could jump. It's probably like a Martin Crimp play. Yeah. There's no character <laughs> names written. Anyone could just pick a line just so we can get to the next scene as quickly as possible yeah. and we can all get to the pub afterwards. Yeah, one of those writer's courses that some, someone's mum gets another person's mum for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And they go, oh, what is it? Oh, you've got to write in the moment. But they they, they, they they fail to tell you that you can't just do that and then forget about everything else. Yeah. That before or yeah. after it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but it's important, she says, why Why have you not told anyone about the secret affair you were having with this married famous artist? Mm. As if that needed an answer. Yeah. And she says, because I didn't want to end up... My husband's very jealous, and I didn't want to end up looking like a Francis Bacon painting. Yeah, an which early is, Francis Bacon yeah, painting. Which is a joke about Francis Bacon paintings making... Like, looking like... Making women look like domestic abuse victims? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it is, isn't I it? I think that's what the gag was. I don't know what to do with that. I think we just move on. I think we do just move on. So the next scene uh, is Maddie and Jonathan having a phone conversation where uh, Maddie fills him in uh, about Adam Klaus getting police protection for Francesca, the Scandinavian model, his girlfriend. Because she says, I was down the nick today. Apparently, Klaus has got police protection. Right, so I've got a lot of questions about this line. <laughs> why? Why Why is she at the police station? <laughs> that was my one. Why? I don't know what why she's doing invited. hanging around there. Number two, why are they just giving away information that is definitely going to be some kind of breach of security if it's about a security detail? Number three, why is a civilian... How is how does he have the power to just get police officers as protection? I tell you, the, what's really annoying is that he doesn't get police protection. That's I, what's annoying. I was going to come up to we that. We have all of this. We have all of that. And then when we meet the protection, it's definitely a private security it's guard. It's the same security guard that we had before. It's just, it's just the theatre's bouncer, isn't it? Which is an odd thing to have. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, hey, that's fine. He has a great old time, though. Gets another line later. We'll talk about that when it comes. He does. Um, so yeah, and then the conversation moves on, uh, and again, it's just another example of how thoroughly unlikable Jonathan Creek is. He gets annoyed at Maddie for saying that she wasn't interested in him, uh, because he thinks that that means she probably was interested in him, so when she turns out to, as she said, wasn't interested in him, uh, he gets really butthurt about it. Yeah, I mean... I mean, he's an incel in this he's scene. Absolutely, absolutely. He's a complete incel, and he's so fragile. He li- he literally says, I'm annoyed because you told me you didn't want to sleep with me, and I assumed that meant that you did. Which is... which is. I mean, he's, he's a delusional, egotistical... Sexist pig. Sex-crazed maniac. <laughs> and also, let's not forget... A maths freak. And of course, yeah, I mean, it adds up to, well, a lot of things. <laughs> so then we so then we get to our security guard moment yeah. where we have the guy that, that Adam Klaus has been hiring to run security since before he even met the Swedish uh, femme fatale. Yeah. Um, he, he is using Adam Klaus's personal dressing room bathroom. Yes. Which is also odd. Yeah, it, it is. And Adam Klaus says, what are you doing here? You're meant to be guarding the door of the dressing room of the Swedish lady. And he says, I'm sorry. I, 
I had to, I'm sorry, Mr. Klaus, I had to pass urine. And Adam Klaus says, I don't care if you have to pass urine. You're meant to be guarding this door. Yeah. Why do they both say urine? It's odd, isn't it? Yeah. Rather than urine. Yeah. I mean, that feels like a directorial line read. Because they both it? said that it. specific director of this episode says urine and has apparently only ever heard it being said that way. And so they both went urine on take one. And, also, and he went, look, I know we yeah. normally don't do a second take, but seriously, <laughs> yeah. what's urine? <laughs> and they land it so heavily. Yeah. And then there's a beautiful moment because that, that conversation is there to set up a scream. Mm. There's a scream heard from the dressing room that the bouncer was hired to protect. Yeah. And Adam Klaus, Anthony Head, big reaction. Big reaction to the scream from him. Big reaction from him. Did you see the reaction of the bouncer? No, I missed that. No, so did everyone. It had, there wasn't one. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely no reaction whatsoever. Because it's dubbed, right? And we talk yeah. about the wonderful ADR department. It's dubbed and... Adam Klaus makes a strong choice. Anthony Head makes a strong choice about mm-hmm. when they're going to put that in. He just he hears it and the edit editor goes with him. Yeah. But the bouncer doesn't know that because he <laughs> isn't an actor. He's <laughs> someone they found. Yeah. Pretending to be a stage doorman. I don't know. Like, um, and they've hired him and he's come in and he's gone. Oh, I'll take my cue from you, Anthony. So he looks at Anthony Head. There's a scream. Anthony Head does some acting. With his eyes yeah. and then his head and then moves and the bouncer reacts on Anthony Head moving. So <laughs> Anthony Head's the only one in this room that's heard the scream. <laughs> it's so much bad television in order to set up what is it yet another very unfunny gag. Yeah. Because what is she what is she screaming about, David? She's screaming about the fact that she's put on three pounds since last Friday. That's what women care about so much. They're obsessed with their weight. Um, that they release a blood-curdling scream into the night when they look at the scales. Which also, I think, came from the stock footage of that cinema film that he was watching in part one. In this, You know, the, yeah. the, the, the Ham Horror. I think that's where it comes yeah. from. Well, yeah, I mean, they've got everything from there, haven't they? Yeah. You've got to keep the budget down. It's not what they're Channel 4. <laughs> um, <laughs> Terrible. So, then... She goes. Jonathan comes into the dressing room because he's also because yeah, because he's made Anthony Head's made him. Adam Klaus has made him be the bodyguard. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Why? What's wrong with the other bodyguard? Um, he has no reactions. <laughs> um, yeah, I come. That's why you should fire him from the from the from the show. It's not why you should fire him from. It's because he because he needs a wee. Uh, yeah. You need to pass your eye. Yeah, you need to pass so, your eye. So who you do need is Jonathan. Yeah. Well, I mean, he does literally everything else in that theatre anyway, point. so might as well be the bodyguard as well. No one knows their way around the Prince of Wales better than Jonathan Creek. Yeah. So much so that he apparently stays in a hotel every night after the show. Um, so he uh, goes into the dressing room. Adam Klaus has to get go and probably do another tech rehearsal. Um and uh, she, uh, Francesca, makes her excuses to go and get herself freshened up, leaving Jonathan alone in the dressing room. When the phone rings, mm-hmm. and he picks up the phone, and it is Serena Shale, of course, the wife and editor-in-chief of L. Eve magazine. <laughs> um, 
and she says uh, that she wants to speak to Francesca. He says she's in the bathroom. She says, can you pass on the message that I want her story? Yes. When she passes on this message, mm-hmm. did you notice something about the phone call? She calls yeah. for Francesca. Yeah. Jonathan picks up. Yeah. And she says, oh, well, can you pass on a message to yeah. her? Yeah, and then halfway through the conversation, she forgets that... She, she forgets that she's talking to not Francesca. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's either that, or or I've written down, uh, why does Serena think that Jonathan Creek is Francesca's manager all of a sudden? Uh, that would work, because, because she that's... says, if you'd like to talk things over, I'll yeah. be in to see the show tonight. So I don't know what she thinks Jonathan Creek is, or why she doesn't recognise his voice from the fact that she spent an hour <laughs> with him. In the office yesterday, while he bumped around her, her office with a steady cam on. I mean, even if she didn't, you would ask who you are in relation to that person before you would offer to meet them for dinner. To discuss. I mean, it could be anyone in there. Yeah, and you haven't arranged a, a, a time no. or a place to meet. You don't know if they're going to be at the show. No. There's no, there's no information there. It's a weird assumption to make that he's her manager. Um, I think you're right. I think she's just forgotten who she's meant to be talking to and no one's noticed which is also, which is ridiculous so we know it's a writing error it just it's just sad because it means that David Rennix has just wandered off whilst writing this scene <laughs> like a, a robin's come and sat by the window and he's gone oh that's nice oh I wonder if he's had my bird feed oh I wonder if I'll use the bird bath oh no I haven't got I've, got, I've just got to fill that in a second. I'll fill the bird bath after I've written the rest of this shite. That's what's happened there. There's a, another comment from Francesca about uh, what happened to her weighing machine. And then about two and a half milliseconds later, she yeah. realises that what she means is a set of scales. So yeah. she says that. So yeah. I don't know why she says weighing machine and then set of scales. Unless it's the first time you had naturalistic writing of someone's thinking in their second language. No, um, I think it's of just... They forgot to take the first word out of the script. Weighing machine, yeah. I think David Rennick accidentally wrote weighing machine and then wrote scales and just forgot to delete it. Yeah. Or didn't know how to delete it because he doesn't know how computers work. <laughs> Probably writing, writing on a typewriter. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then we, we cut to uh, Francesca and uh, Adam Klaus doing another tech rehearsal because she's being rehearsed in to do the trick that we saw in part one yeah. where... She is playing the Egyptian Sir Anthony and Cleopatra. Yep. Um, I mean, I mean that's a stretch, isn't it? <laughs> Comparing his magic trick to Shakespeare. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's entirely up to you, listeners. Um, but there's, there's a. This is a point. So, I think I mentioned it. Um, I, th- I thought it when, when I saw the last episode. Is when in the trick the assistant gets wrapped up in bandages. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed that they didn't show the whole of her being wrapped up in bandages. They just show the eyes being covered, yeah. then they cut away, and they cut back, and all of the bandages wrapped down, head <laughs> to foot, yeah. wrapped in bandages. And I can see why they've done that in BBC, because they've gone, oh, it's a bit boring, isn't it? Yeah. So, right. But looking at the second time, it registered with me again, and I thought, oh, they've done the same thing. They've cut away, and then they've cut back, because it would be boring to watch that. No one wants to sit and watch someone be wrapped in bandages from head to foot. Except for... The over a thousand people in the audience of the Prince of Wales Theatre who were coming to see this trick every night. <laughs> it was going to take 10 minutes to wrap some up in bandages from head to toe. It's so boring that David Rennick and the BBC have gone, yeah, we're not going to show that. So why do we believe that the audience want to watch it? I've got a question for you. Do you think that David Rennick thinks 
that magicians change their acts every night when they're in a residency in a West End theatre. Yeah. Because I think he thinks that. That's what I've got from both parts of this episode. Every time we've seen Adam Grant, it seems like he's constantly changing tricks. That's why he's in tech all the time. He's never out of tech. I mean, that's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Think of the stage back. Like the, you have to do a new risk assessment every night. Oh, the admin in that. But like you say, no one's earning any money. <laughs> no, everything's running at a loss. And uh, like, and also, yeah, if Jonathan Creek's staying in a hotel in London after the show every yeah. night, that's, that's going to be a big expenses. And Adam Klaus is offering to throw money around, buy the painting off Francesca, yeah. name your price. Like, no one's got any fiscal responsibility in this episode. Like, stop doing these new things. Yeah, just do that. But they do... But... I think this is a little bit of license because they add in a new element to this trick, don't they? So we've seen it before in episode mm-hmm. one and then we see it again and we and they're showing us and I'm going, oh God, I'm thinking about other things uh, and what, what I can say in the podcast. Yeah. And then there was a moment where there's blood that drips down the back. Yeah. And for a moment I went, oh, this rings a bell. And I so I, I didn't kind of completely buy it but I think the first time I saw it I had like a memory of going oh the trick's gone wrong and there's a reaction of Jonathan Creek in the wings looking really worried and concerned yeah. which is odd because he's created the trick yeah <laughs> so yeah. he he's the only one along with those on stage you know that's gonna happen yeah but no I, you're right I think I remember when I first saw that thinking that oh yeah whoever's that that's how they've got it they've managed to switch out the giant sarcophagus for one that's real um and uh <laughs> and and that they got her but yeah obviously they didn't it was part of the trick uh and then we... and i and i really enjoyed it is my mm. point i just think it, it it does give me that element of being you know 10 year old 11 well same age as a writer um <laughs> and feeling that joy because there's a little bit of that magic in yeah. this show yeah um that, that i really like Absolutely. Um, and then that takes us on to, of course, everyone's favourite part of the Jonathan Creek episode, the reveal. And we get to the dressing room again, uh, and Serena Shale comes in, Francesca's there, and then Maddie and Jonathan appear. And we get what is my one of my favourite bits of uh, every Jonathan Creek episode during these reveal sequences where Jonathan starts saying information to people that weren't there and don't (laughs) understand the context of what he's saying but he says it in a way as if everyone's included. He goes, that's the one thing I couldn't quite get was that envelope. It was from the tax as no one in that room knows what he's talking about. No. No, again, it's the ramblings of a madman for the purposes of of Francesca and, and Serena. Yeah. Maddie Magellan does, but no one else knows what on earth he's talking about. What what envelope? Why are you talking about the tax man sending a bit of paper? What has this got to do with anything? And also the fact that um, Maddie always kicks off the explanation and then hands yeah. over to Jonathan when it gets to the magic bit. As if she'd worked out the logic and then he'd explained the illusion because that's what makes them a team. No, what makes them a team is Maddie can't work stuff out and then eventually Jonathan can. Do you think... Because she has no credit for any of this. She hasn't found out any decent information. Do you think in the world of the show um, that Maddie and Jonathan rehearse 
their reveal sequences they beforehand to. and they go, right, to. you're going to do this bit, I'm going to do that bit. Yeah. And it's ironic, isn't it? Because they clearly, as actors, don't rehearse anything before they <laughs> yeah. shoot it. <laughs> but within the world of the show, it, yeah, the definitely. characters have. They have to, because they know exactly who says which bit of the reveal. And And to be fair, this reveal is great because it is the classic, you think they're talking to Serena the whole time and then it gets to the end and they go, isn't that right? Francesca. So good. Brilliant. So good. Brilliant. But also, why then is Maddie so horrible to Sabrina? Serena. Serena, sorry. Why is she so horrible to her? She says, um, oh, I'd love you to come work for me. 10 out of 10 for your disguise ch- pretending to be Channel 4. Yeah. I'd have you come work for me any day. And Maddie goes, yeah, how about when hell freezes over? Now, at the time, it makes sense because we think that Maddie's saying yeah. Serena's the murderer. Yeah. But turns out, She's not. Yeah. She's just been cheated on a lot. Yeah. And then her husband was murdered. Yeah. So so why on earth is Maddie being so... Again, it only matters in the, yeah. for, the, for as long as it takes to say it. Yeah. But it's an awful thing to say well, to I've, someone who's just lost their husband. In fairness, she might be still upset that she was told she could have an hour with her and got seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is very true. I think she's still bitter about that. The policeman comes in again. Apparently the only policeman in London because it's the same policeman same guy. that it was days ago. Um, comes in. Uh, doesn't have this time a sign saying you're nicked. No. Um, but but nevertheless, she is arrested, uh, taken around. But before she leaves, uh, she says, if you want my story now, you're going to have to pay double. So you kind of get this thing of like, oh, she is this kind of fame crazy person and actually... She's almost relishing in the idea that she's got caught because she knows she's going to be all over the press, front page of the papers and things like that. She gets taken away and for some utterly bizarre reason, the end of this scene, of the climactic scene of everything, is Adam Klaus coming in, oblivious to what's happened (laughs) and a far, far, far too long close-up on his face, slowly working out what he's missed and putting things together. I mean, it felt like it was almost as long as the recap at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cut that, cut cut away now. Now? You're going to cut? No, still, still looking at his face. Why? Why are we looking at his face tr- working things out? We've already seen what's happened. We don't need to see an ancillary character of this show get up to speed with the plot of the episode. <laughs> and that's the way you end that scene. Madness. You're completely right. I think for the first few seconds... You, you were watching, uh, quite right, uh, Adam Klaus, the character Adam Klaus, reacting to what he's just found out, this revelation. And for the rest of the minute and a half that the camera was on him, you're watching Anthony Head going, how many more faces can I make my face <laughs> make before someone shouts cut? We should probably talk about how the crime's done. We haven't talked about. Oh, that's a very good point. I was far more interested in Adam Klaus's face because that's what the scene told me to be. And then we learn that actually Francesca was the murderer all along. Yes, she murdered him by firing a pistol with her feet. She managed to bind and gag herself with some stuff that she uh, put on her some face stuff, and yeah. wrapped her hands with um, using the bedpost. Uh, and then she used her feet and an elastic band to Mm -hmm. fire the gun 
and pleasingly for both of us here the sound effect as we say was back yeah, when it showed the, this flashback the sci-fi swanny whistle yeah <laughs> yeah it was weird though because what wasn't correct was actually where the gunshots came because originally when you heard it it was gunshot what are you doing gunshot yeah and then in the flashback it was what are you doing gunshot gunshot so that apparently changed yeah so the whole point is that surely the first gunshot missed yeah but that storyline was abandoned <laughs> yeah, no. straight away again i think i think this time um it was a little blue tick came and oh, yeah. on the windowsill of david reddick and um yeah he just forgot to he carry went, on writing it that'll do <laughs> um but the the thing the thing that also kind of gets me is that there's this conversation about the fact that they dusted the room for prints right yeah and they didn't find uh, any prints that matched they did find some mystery prints that didn't match anyone. And Jonathan said, oh, there must be someone else in the room. And it turns out to be uh, to be Francesca's footprints because she fired the gun with her toes, as yeah. he'd expressed. Why don't the police know the difference between toe prints and fingerprints? It's, uh, yeah. I yeah. Mean, that, this is dreadful police work. Yeah. Dreadful. Yeah. Um, well, it seems to be just this one guy. Yeah. So, I mean, he's really overworked. He's he? really overworked. He's in the whole of London by himself. Um, now, after that, we 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 go to kind of how the episode ends. Um, but before before we do, I want to... There's a piece of information that comes out in this. Yeah. Maddie says to Serena, what time does your postman normally stop by yeah. in the morning? And she says, oh, about 8.30. In fact, on that morning... I passed him on my way to work. Yeah. What time is Serena meant to be in the office from? Because um, I think it's what, about ten past nine. Yes, I think. That's and what she's saying. there till eleven. Yeah, that's, that's the alibi. It. Yeah. Wherever she lives, which, as I said, is next to some milk farm in Wiltshire in the <laughs> Victorian ages. Is miles in the countryside. There's mud. There's country yep. mechanics. Listen yep. to Cliff Richard. There's yep. trees everywhere. There's vomit, stoke vomit. Uh, it's, it's all countryside, countryside, countryside. Is door to door half an hour at, at most. <laughs> the greatest trick of all isn't how she got in or out of the room. No, it's how she got to work. How the hell she got to work in that time. <laughs> and the mystery of Southern Rail. So there we go. That's that, it. That's it. That was uh, overall now the end of the first episode of Jonathan Creek, the pilot episode. And so far we know that Jonathan Creek is a self-obsessed, self-righteous, <laughs> egotistical, unlikable sociopath. We know that uh, Madeline McGellan has um, some real kind of issues with her career and... and her self-worth i think in mm, that job yeah um she's at a crossroads she is she is we know of course jonathan creek is uh, a mathematical genius which i'm sure will come up absolutely uh, uh but we've disproved the fact uh that you don't need to know your way around a ruler you don't need paul zenon if you were about to get in touch that's true because if he if you did then you'd have a model box that was to scale <laughs> want to say before we finish off here um we do love this show oh it yeah. sounds like we don't but it's a bit like you know 
in a family and you say, well, I can make fun of my dad, but mm. you can't make fun of my dad. Um, I, I can mean, make fun of your dad. Yeah, and I certainly do make fun of your dad. But generally speaking, yeah. it's kind of when you love something, you can poke fun at it. It's not like we're hating on this show. We've never seen it before. It's a genuinely beloved show from our childhood. We're just having a lot of fun with the potential uh, sort of things that haven't quite aged quite well and things we might have missed the first time round. I'm sure it's important to say that we're not having a go we're we're lovingly lambasting i think absolutely and um and yeah please do if there's anything else that you've noticed um that uh, that we've missed please do get in touch you can get us on twitter absolutely that's at macabre podcaster with an e on the end or you can find us on email yeah shoot us an email at podcaster macabre at gmail.com and you can also find us at podcastermacabre.podomatic.com where you will find all the previous podcasts as well. And we are also on Spotify and will soon to be on iTunes. We, um, we've got to go and watch Jack in the Box, mate. Absolutely. We will see you next week for a little bit of Jack in the Box, episode two. See you next week. Thank you for listening.